Anyone who knows me at all well knows that I can be easily distracted. What's that? Sadly, anyone observing the Christian church in North America today might say the same. We are easily distracted by patterns and habits of consumption and competition in our culture. Certainly, people around the world observing the unfolding events in the United States as this country threatens to withdraw from international accords and move aggressively towards isolationism are wondering how this happened how this great country has become distracted from the project of democracy. Into these prevailing winds, our liturgical calendar speaks. First, the Ark of Epiphany, Jesus' baptism and the beginning of his public ministry, calling his first disciples, a gradual process revealing God's purpose for us. And now today, on the Feast of St. Bridget of Kildare, the patroness of Ireland, we celebrate someone who took that purpose as her own. Bridget's life puts wheels on the bus, in a sense. And I'm actually quite sure that Bridget might have arrived at the Women's March, among other nuns on the bus, carrying a sign that might say something like, Equal pay for equal prey. <laughs> Bridget reminds us, though, that walking aflame with the spirit of love and Christian discipline requires taking risk and standing firm in the midst of opposition. Born to a Christian mother who was herself enslaved to an influential Druid family, Bridget's disposition and instinctive orientation toward charity set her apart from a very young age and led her to choose to be a Christian and then a monastic. Borrowing from Paul in Corinthians today, her life indeed boasted in the Lord. So what is God's purpose for us at this time? Rather than words of comfort and realignment to the materially secure, grace for the shopping impaired such as I, or for the body-conscious teenager, as I have often heard today's familiar Do Not Worry text from Matthew interpreted, my eyes landed firmly on the final sentence. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is not a passage to comfort the comfortable. It is not speaking to us individually. We have domesticated this passage so much to tell individuals not to worry that it is often read at graduation ceremonies and other rites of passage as individuals leave community and forge out on their own. That is not, in fact, as I read it, the dynamic of this passage or what I hear today. Don't worry because you will be safe is not God's message. Seeking personal security is often more haunted and halted by fear and despair and loneliness than it is hope-filled. As Lily Tomlin said once, even if you win a rat race, you are still a rat. 
So you or I cannot stop worrying on our own because by our very nature and in our baptism, we are profoundly wired for interdependence. What makes us anxious individually is actually rooted in something that is happening or not happening to us collectively. David Brooks, the New York Times conservative columnist, described the societal existential crisis last fall as he observed the divisiveness of the presidential campaign. Quote, the crisis of our moment is a crisis of social isolation. Citing statistics that show people trust their neighbors less and have fewer close friends and fewer confidence than ever before. He said they experience loneliness and depression at greater rates. He said people feel betrayed by institutions and have lost the sense of dignity they once achieved by doing humble but fulfilling work. In his estimation, the combination of politics and class war, and I would add race, is a truly ugly prospect. For Brooks, the key debate is now between those who feel the tailwinds of globalization and meritocracy at their back, pushing them forward toward opportunity, and those who feel the headwinds in their face, destroying their communities. Worry and anxiety are persistent and pervasive in an unjust society, in systems that preserve and promote inequality. Everyone is anxious in an unjust society. Our worry is a healthy sign that something is wrong. As children of God, how can we not be worried when we find ourselves in a world where injustice was not meant to be? The final verse of today's Gospel account in Matthew that is curiously not included in the appointed lectionary seems resigned to the inevitable cyclical nature of worry. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. David Brooks went on to try to offer a way out. He said, my view is that our culture is over-politicized and under-moralized. And we need more people talking about moral subjects, how to use suffering for virtue, to promote some goodness, how to feel transcendence, what grace feels like. He called on religious communities to act. And today, Jesus is even more clear. We will either overturn the tables of exploitation in the temple of our time, or we will find peace and freedom at the altars of abundance. We will fight for justice, or we will fight for anxiety. It is in the striving for the kingdom of God the act of committing our whole selves to this enterprise, that we will, in fact, find peace and freedom. I learned something about striving for the kingdom of God from my January term immersion in Myanmar. There, in a highly stratified, ethnically, linguistically, religiously diverse, Buddhist-dominant, rapidly developing country, into which China is pressing aggressively and opportunistically, with thousands of religious minorities exiled in Thai refugee camps 
a military regime that dominates the political landscape. There, where being Christian comes with no privilege and means risking everything, and where seeking ordination guarantees you a life of simplicity and most likely a life of poverty, there I saw what it can mean to strive first for the kingdom of God. There, where subsistence living is permeated by evidence of globalization, where neon lights embellish Buddhist, Buddhist pagodas and Christian crosses, where feral dogs roam, where water sanitation is still a dream, where litter is everywhere and recycling has not yet been introduced, where plastic bags blow across meticulously tended fields, tires and scrap metal fill water ditches, and the ubiquitous cell phone is in the hands of market booth purveyors and tucked tidily into the waistbands of bicycle taxi drivers. There, where huge urban billboards celebrate acquisition and revere whiter skin, there, standing in the reality of ethnic and economic stratification, I was profoundly burdened by the anxiety that many, many things were wrong. And yet, I encountered Christians striving for the kingdom of God with abiding joy and focus. Without fear or complaint, with hope and humility, bishops travel for hours often by foot, to reach outlying villages. Trained lay catechists dedicate their lives to teaching the faith in communities that may or may not be served by an ordained minister. Parishes that worship in simple bamboo huts garner the resources to provide quality residential education for girls and boys who otherwise would be not qualified for public education or might not be able to afford the state-run schools. Graciousness, hospitality, and joy define the Anglican Christian Church and witness in Myanmar, making room for the stranger, advocating for their Muslim minority brothers and sisters, celebrating the arts, investing in local enterprise. Indifference is a rare outlier. Somehow there is enough. Somehow, rice is served at every meal, whether from ash-covered, dented aluminum pots in small, thatched huts with woven roofs or on elegant restaurant tables in lacquered vessels. Rice shows up. There in Myanmar, I witnessed Christians who truly understand that they are tied together. Anxiety is eased with solidarity, not with safety. They know justice is a group project. It is a social project, and no one will be without worry until the gospel project, a collective practice of justice, succeeds for all. We will heal together, or we will worry together. While this enterprise is daunting, and there is much temptation to be overwhelmed or to withdraw, hear Jesus' promise again. Strive first for the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It is in not letting ourselves be distracted 
from striving for justice in our everyday lives that we will indeed glimpse the kingdom of God. As Dean Markham reminded us on Monday, that may mean listening deeply to someone who holds very different views from our own. It may mean taking a more activist turn and participating in a march simply to experience firsthand what solidarity with others feels like. Striving for justice may mean asking hard questions in classes or in homes. It may be volunteering in the community or writing to your elected representatives, setting aside time for prayer and study and worship matters. Light candles. In seeking, we will receive. Our faith will be strengthened, our anxieties calmed, and our basic needs will be met. Paradoxically, when we let the pain of the world into our lives, trusting in the promise of the resurrection, worry dissipates and God's kingdom of joy is revealed. Dying, you destroyed our death. Rising, you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory.